Hello, uh, welcome uh, to this principal's lecture. My name is Dr. Mark Wunsch. I'm a member of the philosophy department at the college, and it's a pleasure to be here with you today. Today, we're going to be talking about a topic that is extremely timely. Uh, we have the, the secular feast of Thanksgiving coming up, uh, a feast obviously that connects us uh, with our family, uh, but also in a spirit of gratitude, uh, gratitude for what we've received uh, primarily from God, uh, but also from those family members uh, on which we depend for so much. Today, the topic is going to be uh, entitled, Honor Thy Father and Thy Mother, uh, Aquinas and Confucius on the Virtue of Filial Piety. Now, the relevance of this topic, I think, can be seen very clearly uh, when we look at, uh, for causes, of, of many of the, the kind of forms of decay uh, and degradation we see in society. Uh, in so many areas, so many institutions uh, are broken down or, or corrupted by, by various, for various reasons. Uh, and so, obviously, in, in trying to renew a culture and trying to instaurare omnia in Christo, uh, we, we have to understand some of the causes of the breakdown and, and look for remedies. Uh, one of the remedies that maybe we overlook from time to time is a remedy uh, laid forth by Confucius and by Aquinas. Surprisingly, these two people from obviously radically different sides of the globe, from radically different periods of intellectual history, say something very surprisingly similar. Uh, and what they say and what they affirm is that the roots of the moral life, the roots of the order of an, in an individual, okay, in a household, and ultimately in society, okay, can be rediscovered and rejuvenated through the discovery of the virtue of filial piety. Uh, and so today I'm going to spend about 15 minutes uh, looking at what St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, the angelic doctor, has to say about th that virtue, and then transition uh, to this thinker who might be foreign to most of us, uh, Kungze or Confucius, uh, and see what he has to say. Uh, and I think we'll discover uh, by the end of the talk, uh, among a variety of fascinating observations, that they have surprisingly something very similar to say about this virtue. So without further ado, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas on filial piety. For him to understand filial piety, as you know with St. Thomas, uh, everything has an order. Everything has a context. Uh, and the virtue of piety fits under an umbrella okay, of a, a, a kind of parent, if you will, virtue. And that virtue is the cardinal virtue of justice. Okay? And so I'm going to introduce piety within the context, within the framework of some of the things he has to say about justice, religion, and other virtues that are grouped together collectively under the heading of justice because they have so much in common. Okay? So very briefly, a, a few things about what St. Thomas has to say about justice. Now justice, as you know, uh, is one of the cardinal virtues. Uh, one of the cardinal virtues uh, is an intellectual virtue, the virtue of prudence, which allows us to know uh, the good. Uh, it's the perfected ability to make right decisions. Uh, and it allows us to identify the mean of how we ought to act in everything we do, how we ought to even feel in terms of our mode of life. Uh, and therefore, it's the cause of the moral life. It illuminates the way to act. The other three of the cardinal virtues okay, are moral. Okay, and they're found in the appetitive life of man, the appetitive part of man. Uh, that means his will and his passions. Uh, the virtue of justice is found in the will, and the virtues of fortitude, the virtues of temperance, are found in our passions and allow us to kind of order those. 
why is justice relevant? And, and what do we have to say about that, that that helps us appreciate the significance of filial piety? Well, justice, I think we have to remember, is the most elevated of the cardinal moral virtues. Okay, Obviously, the virtue of charity kind of orders the entire moral life, but charity is a theological virtue. But among the moral virtues, the most noble and most important is justice. Uh, and this would often be true also of the pagan. That's why the just man is ultimately synonymous with the good and excellent man. Uh, and so justice entails, okay, the ability to perpetually will what is good uh, and to give to another what we owe them. Okay? Uh, if you had to summarize the moral life, and as related to even the other cardinal virtues, prudence knows what is good. It's by way of justice that we perpetually will what is good. And then fortitude and temperance help us to persevere in our goodwill uh, amid threats, possibly, that might arise to our goodwill, that might come from our passions. And so fortitude helps us to order our passion of fear. Temperance helps us to order uh, our attitude towards sensual goods from which we derive pleasure. Uh, and, and to use these passions to actually help in being just, to help in doing good, uh, and, and to avoid any hindrance to our goodwill that might arise from our passions. Okay. Uh, and so what do we see here? We see a few things. Justice in relation to these virtues is most noble, one, because it's in our will. Okay? And we're also going to find filial piety, the virtue of religion, in man's will. The will is man's most noble appetite. Uh, animals actually have a sensitive appetite. They have emotional sorts of lives. They have an ability to react or respond to sensual goods they perceive or evils they perceive. Uh, but, but we find the virtue of justice in the will, okay, in, in the most noble, uh, the rational appetite of man. Okay? Uh, it's also noble because justice, unlike the other cardinal virtues, fortitude and temperance, which order man within himself, justice orders us in relationship to others and allows us to be a social animal uh, and, and to thrive and also to allow whatever goodness we have interiorly to be communicated to others outside of ourselves, okay? Uh, and for this reason, justice uh, is, is more noble uh, than even fortitude and temperance because it not only involves perfecting man interiorly, but allows his interior perfection to be diffused, okay? And to order his relationships with others, with his family, with society, etc. okay? And finally, we see, as I just noted, the virtues of fortitude and temperance are ordered to justice, okay? The moral life distilled is knowing what is good and doing it. And therefore, we would only need prudence and justice if not for our passions. And so those, uh, those other virtues are, are, are infused uh, once we develop them into uh, our appetite so that we can will and act justly. And so justice is a noble virtue, okay? So all the virtues are essential. Uh, all, the, all the cardinal virtues are essential to being a good man and a thriving human being. But there's a hierarchy. Okay, and I think it's important to realize that there is some that are more important, and justice is at the top of the list as far as the moral virtues are concerned. Now, moving to religion and piety, uh, the virtue we're going to focus on a little bit more closely in Aquinas. They are similar to justice. Uh, they help us to pay debts. Now, some debts by way of justice we, we pay. Uh, and and they, we are able to pay them effectively, and we bring about justice. So when I give to the barista at the coffee shop money, 
uh, I make uh, m that person that I give money to a debtor, okay? And I am a creditor. And justice is restored to our relationship when I get my espresso macchiato, okay? Uh, then it creates a state of equilibrium again among those members involved in the transaction, okay? But with the virtues, some virtues, okay, help us to pay debts that are unpayable, okay? And these would be the debts we owe to God, to the family, and to uh, yeah, even, even to people in authority, uh, people in positions of authority that allow for the common good to, to come into being and to be ordered. And these debts are unpayable, okay? And so what does the just man do? Why are they unpayable? Uh, I think we can see pretty clearly uh, that we've received everything. Uh, let's start with God from God. He sustains us in being. He gives us being. He gives us everything we have. Uh, what's more, also uh, with, our, with our family, uh, if it weren't for our parents, we wouldn't be, okay? Uh, and, and so how do we, and obviously they raise us, uh, everything that we become, every habit we have, our ability to speak language. I mean, so many things that are even rudimentary to even the, the, the great formations, hopefully, that we've had in terms of our intellectual moral life all begins in the, the kind of womb of man's moral formation, which is in the home. And so how do we repay our parents for giving us life, okay? And the answer is we can't. We can't repay those debts. And so what does the just man do in the face of this reality? He tries anyway, okay? And Aquinas says in religion, it actually leads man to do acts that are extraordinary, acts that are more than, than, than usual, uh, in order to make an attempt to pay back and express our gratitude uh, for the gifts we have uh, to God, for instance, uh, our parents, etc. Uh, and this, this expresses itself in religion uh, by performing acts of sacrifice. And so it's part of the natural law. Uh, in Romans 1.20, uh, it says that, that man, even bereft of religion, should know that God exists. Uh, and St. Thomas would argue as well that religion is natural. Uh, religion is natural. It's a natural response of people who know uh, the dependence man has on a creator uh, and, and want to express that. Uh, and we express that often by way of prayer, by way of sacrifice, acts that are even sometimes extraordinary, okay, to express that gratitude we owe to the deity, to the divine, okay. Uh, and this leads us actually into other virtues as well, okay. Uh, St. Thomas would argue uh, that when we see, one of the ways we repay God back, okay, for those unpayable debts we've received, is to pay it forward, as it were, okay? So we have been given without cost, okay? Uh, we have been given so much freely by God. And one of the ways man responds is by way of imitating that. Uh, we express in some way our gratitude for what God has given us, by giving to others where there is no strict legal obligation to give. Uh, therefore, to be liberal and generous, the virtue of liberality is related, okay? The virtue of friendliness, to give pleasure to others uh, in our interactions with them on a daily basis, is, is, is linked here, okay, to that attempt of man to even replicate, okay, uh, you know, what he uh, replicate the, the gratuitous nature of, of God in his free gift to us, we then give ourselves freely to others, okay? 
Uh, and this goes obviously for religion, and it also goes for piety. And so let's focus on piety very closely and look at where it fits here, okay? Uh, so piety, uh, we find, at least in the commandments, okay, we find in the fourth commandment, uh, to honor thy father and thy mother. Uh, St. Thomas will recognize uh, that all the precepts of the commandments fit under justice in some capacity. The first three are grouped together pertaining to God, and then there is the next most important commandment. And so again, the commandments are all necessary. We have to keep them all, but they're hierarchical. There are, is an order of importance. The three pertaining to God are most important, and then after that, paying debts that we owe to our parents, okay? And honoring them, honoring our family members associated with that is another debt, okay, that is most important to pay. The other six, the other, the other six commandments all pertain to what we owe others, okay? But they rank as, as less important than the first four. Uh, we read, okay, uh, and this is in, in the Treatise on Piety, question 101 of the Secunda Secundae, the second part of the second part of the Summa, uh, Aquinas quotes uh, Tully, uh, he quotes Cicero by saying, It is piety that we do our duty towards kindred and well-wishers of our country and render them faithful service. Okay, He adds, I answer that, Man becomes a debtor to other men in various ways, according to their various excellences, and the various benefits received from them on both counts God holds first place, for he is supremely excellent, and it is uh, us... Uh, us the first principle of our being in government. On the second place, the principles of being and government are our parents and our country that have been given us, that who have given us birth and nourishment. Consequently, man is debtor chiefly to his parents and country after God. Wherefore, just as it belongs to religion to give worship to God, so it does belong to piety in the second place to give worship to one's parents and one's country. He follows, the worship due to our parents includes the worship given to other kindred, since our kindred are those who are deceased, who are descent from our parents. According to the philosopher, this is Aristotle, the, 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 the worship given to our country includes homage to all fellow citizens and to all friends of our country. Therefore, piety extends chiefly to these. Okay? Now, what is the takeaway okay, from what St. Thomas has said and communicated about piety? Uh, I'll, I'll reduce it to two central observations, okay? One is that we learn obedience, first of all, okay, within the context of the family, okay, uh, by expressing, and how it leads to man's perfection and the ordering of society, is by expressing piety to one's parents, okay, uh, and being faithful and obedient to them, we learn about all lawful authority and are able then to extend okay, uh, the right attitude also to the state okay, and to other, the church and other uh, institutions where we, to which we owe our allegiance and to whom we need to be obedient. Uh, and therefore, the, the, it's in the family that we first learn that, this indebtedness and first are schooled in that ability to repay debts. Okay? Uh, and in repaying those debts, those unpayable debts, by expressing reverence and honor to, towards our parents, okay, we then are formed to respect other forms, legitimate forms of authority, which is so important to the bringing about of the common good. As Aquinas notes in Distributive Justice, what he says about Distributive Justice, 
that the subjects of this, that mankind who receive justice from people in, in power can help affect that uh, by respecting those authority, accepting that authority. It can actually encourage those who are in power to more effectively bring about justice and order society. It's also that way in which, and this is the second great thing that has happened, by which we first and originally learn to overcome ourself, to overcome our ego, uh, to value and to look out that we find meaning ourself and a right order interiorly by honoring that which is outside of us, by honoring God, by honoring our family. And it's in doing this and extending that kind of honor, okay, to other people, uh, that we are able to overcome our pride, which is the central, obviously, sin of, of the moral life, and other forms of egoism. Okay, that's my attempt to distill uh, the value and, and significance of what he has to say about piety. Uh, we're now going to, because you know, this, this talk kind of rolls along rather quick, we don't have a long time to discuss these topics, I want to introduce you to what Confucius has to say on filial piety. Uh, Confucius or Kungzi uh, is, is, is K-O-N-G-Z-I. Uh, uh, you hear that in Lao Tzu, Mozi, um, you know, some of these Shunzi, some of the other famous Chinese philosophers. It's an honorific title. It means master, and so Master Kong, uh, Kongzi, uh, Confucius, uh, was a philosopher uh, who, who uh, uh, lived about, let's see, he lived about uh, in the 6th century, okay, B.C., uh, he led a remarkable life, uh, specifically from 551 to 479, so to kind of get perspective, a little bit before Socrates. Uh, some of the other famous kind of pre-Socratic philosophers would have been living at about the same time as Kungsa. Uh, now, now, why, maybe very also very briefly, why is this Christian philosophy professor having anything to say about Kungsa? Well, uh, actually, a colleague of mine, Brendan McGuire, uh, who is deceased, a uh, great member of the history department, and I, uh, directed an advanced studies course uh, for uh, our students who are uh, advanced study students. They have a seminar their senior year. And uh, we tried to think of what is something outside of both of our wheelhouses that the students would enjoy that would cause us to kind of expand our minds, which is what a liberal education is supposed to do. And so we said, why not, as liberal educated people of the West, read some of the perennially important works of the East uh, that affect like the other half of the world's population? Because that's what a liberal education makes you be, is broad-minded. So let's not become like fluent, but conversant, okay, in some of the central ideas that, that influence the rest of the world. And, and, and this was very fruitful, it was a very worthwhile experience, okay, and therefore I built that into an elective, okay. So that's the history of it, and I think students have profited from that. I think it's, it's, it's easy to forget how radical and unbelievable it is that pagans, okay, uh, people who are not Christian, affect the intellectual life of the church. Uh, Plato and Aristotle, okay, have a huge influence on the church. Uh, and, and, and when they were first discovered, their, their thought was not always well received. But when the church did due diligence and extracted certain portions of it that were problematic, you know, I mean, Pl Plato obviously holds to the transmigration of souls, a kind of form of reincarnation. Uh, he's okay in some respects with infanticide and other things obviously we would want to, uh, to prohibit and reject. But nonetheless, him and Aristotle, having been purified of certain heirs, their thought has done much to, in, to benefit the intellectual life of the church. And so too, I believe, can the thought of these great thinkers from the East. So let's discuss them now. 
uh, Kongzi uh, wrote, he didn't actually write anything, actually. Uh, his Analects, uh, or his most, the most famous work that are a collation of his sayings, uh, were, were collated by, by some of his disciples, okay? Uh, the Confucian scholars during the Warring States period from 475 to 422 BC, uh, and, and were kind of formalized within the Han Dynasty, which extends from uh, 206 BC to 220 AD. Uh, and they record uh, his life and his teachings, okay? Uh, Kongzi was actually a lot like Socrates. He was a lot like, in this respect, Christ and some other very famous thinkers in the world. He didn't write anything, and so what is said about him uh, was written by th his followers. Uh, he was writing and living, I should say, not writing, but living, uh, at a time of, of what he saw to be moral and social decay. Uh, and he made his life's mission to kind of travel from state to state, uh, talking about the good life and admonishing people to return back uh, to a former way of living uh, that, that I'm going to talk about here in a minute. Return to the way, the way of heaven, uh, he would call. And for his efforts, he was starved and almost killed, like, like many good philosophers. Uh, so what did he teach? What did he believe? And then what does he say about filial piety? Uh, Kongzi uh, thought that the golden age of humankind preceded him. Uh, from 1041 to 771 it was the Western Zhou period. And it was during this period where the rulers uh, to, that had you know, kind of lived out an ordered life. He thought they had a, a mandate from Xi'an, from heaven. Uh, and they lived this out by properly ordering society and encouraging the right uh, practices, the right duties, the right etiquette, the right li or rights. Uh, and these rights included everything from state uh, ceremonies to everyday etiquette. Uh, they thought that ritual had an educative function, okay, that made man perform the kinds of actions that led him to become virtuous. Uh, there's a great example of this by Shunzi, who was one of uh, a Confucian scholar, uh, where he referred to a kind of a tea ceremony, okay. Uh, and here they had one cup, and this cup was passed, and this cup was passed from the oldest person to the youngest. And in this ceremony, these actions teach something. They teach that we belong, okay, to, to, to a common unit, and they teach that there's a priority of, of who we should pay reverence and homage to. Uh, these and other things were, were, were valued, uh, valued as, as ways of educating people in the moral life. Uh, because these rulers led uh, a moral, uh, kind of led society in a noble way, uh, Con Confucius would hold that uh, they had a mandate or ming from heaven uh, that they then manifested through their virtue, their day, or their charismatic virtue. In Kung's time, society had broken down. Uh, the states uh, were kind of warring or beginning to war and fight for authority. Uh, and philosophers of his day were also unimpressive. Uh, they often focused on self-aggrandizement and pleasure and were not committed to pursuing wisdom, reading the traditional works uh, that, that he thought their kind of liberal curriculum, as it were. Uh, and, and, and he thought that, that therefore, we need to encourage people to return back to the classical works. There was a kind of a very significant element of a, of a, a conservatism of him, uh, returning to the practices of the former dynasty. Uh, and, and this way we'd return to, to, to the way. Uh, and, and, and as we practice, uh, he would argue, uh, living in the right way, uh, we develop ren or a kind of state of goodness. Uh, he said that the ultimate, the virtuous man who has lived the right practices and made them habitual uh, is the, the yungza uh, or the gentleman. Uh, and this is a noble person. Uh, that's kind of what the word means literally. 
uh, but it's a noble man, not someone who's just inherited titles. Uh, but it's someone who, because he has lived an ordered life, has become noble, okay? And, and, and that is, in some ways, parallels what, what Aristotle would say about the magnanimous man, uh, you know, what we would say uh, even to some extent about the saint, the person who lives a completely virtuous life. And when they do that, they live with what he called wu-wei, which is effortless action. And as you know, uh, virtue being a habit, it makes doing good easy, pleasurable, and regular. And this is exactly what, using different terminology, Confucius said of the virtuous life. Now, what was at the heart of the virtuous life? What was at the heart of the virtuous life was piety, okay? He says in the beginning of the Analects, this is Analect 1-2, okay? Uh, he says, the gentleman applies himself to the roots. Once the roots are firmly established, the way, okay, which is the way of virtue, will grow. Might we not say that filial piety and respect for elders constitute the root of goodness, the root of Wren? Uh, and, and the answer is clearly yes. Uh, and so let me speak a little bit about, okay, what he has to say uh, about an important Confucian topic. The family and what he calls, what is called by Confucian scholars, differentiated care, okay? Uh, what he ended up saying is the family is important for two, two primary reasons. One, it's where we initially learn to be a good person. It's by loving and being loved in the family that we learn to love others. It's respecting boundaries that people set up in the fa family that we learn to respect other boundaries. Okay, we learn to value authority in the family and reverence it. And because we do, that becomes the root of our ability to do so outside of the family. Okay, uh, and so again, by living that in the family, that's where we first, it's kind of the womb of the moral life, we're then able to extend it, okay, that, 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 that way of being and the lessons we learn outside of the family, okay. Uh, the second, okay, uh, thing, the, the important thing that uh, we learn, okay, by way of, um, uh, you know, is that the family is where we learn to value what is proximate over what is remote, okay? Uh, and so he's very much a realist. Uh, he didn't believe in kind of the impartial impartiality in a radical sense, like Plato did in his Republic. Uh, he thought that everyone should love everyone equally, okay? And because of this in the fifth uh, you know, book there, he encourages you know, some interesting practices where people wouldn't know their parents, so they would treat everybody like their parents. People wouldn't know who their siblings were. Uh, and therefore they treat everything like a sibling. Uh, what well, Confucius would say, that's not possible. Actually, our very ability to care for other people's kids is rooted in caring for our own. And, and I experienced this as an apparent, maybe you do as well, that my ability, once I became a parent, I become sympathetic towards others, okay? I develop that sympathy towards, towards, towards children, and that enables me to actually develop sympathy for others. As I, as I try to enter into their plight, I, I consider what that would be like, and what I use as analogate is my own experience with my own children. And therefore, Confucius would argue that it's this way that the virtue of filial piety, and it, it actually leads us to experience sympathetic understanding. Our ability to identify with other people uh, ultimately arises from our experience in the home, okay? Parents or children, uh, obviously we learn to respect authority, and because we can respect authority in that sense, we're able to respect authority outside of the house. 
Now, what does he mean by sympathetic understanding? Now, I know I just don't have a lot of time left, uh, but I'm going to also kind of share this quote uh, with you about sympathetic understanding. It's just fascinating, okay? Uh, it's, it's a quote that actually speaks to what you might call uh, the golden rule, okay? Uh, and, and so he says, okay, um, let's see if I'm looking at the, the right place. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, he says the following, okay? What I do not wish others to do unto me, I also wish not to do unto others, okay? And Confucius would argue that our ability to do that is rooted in the home, okay? And so it allows us, on one hand, to really be able to extend and be formed in the moral life so that we can extend that to our interactions with people outside of the home. It also helps us to overcome, uh, as Aquinas said regarding piety, any kind of egocentrism. Uh, now, he didn't expect a kind of blind loyalty to our parents, okay? Uh, he says, and this is in 417, when you see someone who is worthy, um, hold on, um, uh, he actually, uh, he, he said, hold on, um, it's, it's uh, here we are, okay, uh, 4.18. In serving your parents, you may gently remon uh, remonstrate with them. However, once it becomes apparent that they have not taken your criticism to heart, you should be respectful and not oppose them and follow their lead in, in diligently and without resentment, okay? And so, where is there is some kind of critical or ability to dialogue, Ultimately, ad attitude of reverence is, is the attitude to favor. And uh, as, as remarkably, uh, you know, uh, he even says this reverence should extend even beyond the grave. Uh, he says that as we were taken care of for three years uh, as children, the period of mourning for our parents should extend that long. Uh, and we shouldn't change any of the customs of, of, of the household out of respect to our parents for that length of period. Uh, and here he's again just speaking to the just order of things, speaking to the, what we've received and, and you know, in, in our youth, we need to return uh, we, this, this, in, this debt back to our parents, okay? And so in summary, okay, we find in Confucius uh, that our ability to learn obedience to all lawful authority begins in the home. It's also the means by which we are able to learn to step outside of ourselves to overcome any kind of egocentrism, and ultimately develop a kind of attitude of, of affection that allows us to effectively care for others and to develop that form of sympathy. So uh, again, in conclusion, Aquinas and Confucius agree, okay, for the sake of perfecting our nature and for the sake of ordering our households and society and our church at large, we should make every effort to grow in the virtue of filial piety. Hence, let's take their advice to heart, okay? And hearken to the admonishment of God himself to honor our mothers and our fathers uh, at, at Thanksgiving, and even our relatives uh, during this, this, this holy season uh, of, uh, in November uh, as we pray for them and, and, and this, those who suffer in purgatory. Uh, this would be a great act of piety. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm moved. I'm moved by what they have to say uh, to, to kind of double down on my efforts, okay, to frequently reach out to my parents. And so the quote I'll leave you with uh, is from, uh, it's actually quoted in Tokyo Story, one of my favorite movies, 1953 of Ozu, a Japanese filmmaker. Uh, and, and in that, they quote Confucius, uh, a son who's, whose parents are dying. 
he, he, the, the quote of Confucius comes to mind, that no one can serve his parents beyond the grave. And so let's take that admonishment to heart, use the time we're given okay, on this earth to fulfill our obligations and justice. Number one, to serve God, but number two, uh, to, to make every effort to honor and to serve those family members from whom we've received so much. Thank you very, thank you very much. And now I think we have some time for a few questions, okay? Uh, great, so there's, there's a bunch, okay? How can children honor parents when they are at odds with each other, uh, especially when they have different religions, okay? Uh, so this is a very practical question and application, and, and I'll give you kind of my opinion on this, uh, rooted in the thought, I think, of, of Aquinas and Confucius. Uh, I, I did mention, okay, one of those quotes, okay, uh, that, I, that I think is, is valuable, okay, uh, is um, there is something legitimate, okay, in gently rem, uh, remonstrating, remonstrating, okay, with your parents, uh, you know, even in Confucius, okay. Uh, you, you, there is nothing kind of uh, wrong with expressing uh, differences of opinion, and ultimately, uh, we, we realize that even our service of parents is trumped by our service of God, okay? Uh, and so when it comes to certain matters, obviously, we can't compromise uh, what we see to be true uh, and what we see to be good and, and the fullness of truth. Uh, you know, and that's, that, so we can never you know, value the state or value our family or serve them before God. And that's why this hierarchy is so important. And so, yes, we have to serve God first, okay? And therefore, sometimes we have to admit of a disagreement, and, and, uh, and there might be ways in which uh, our parents won't feel in, in every sense like they're being honored. Uh, but obviously, we have to pay our honor ultimately to God first uh, because we owe our debts to Him over parents. And yet, how does this look in the, in the particular? How can you still, though, show people a sign of respect and honor? I, I'm a convert, so, so I can relate a little bit here. Uh, and it's interesting, uh, whereas cults kind of take people away, okay, from their family, uh, one of the things that actually made an impression on my mom, who became a convert, and my dad recently converted, uh, I, I think is actually what, what living in the truth does, is it makes you a better person. And it made me a better son to my mother. And I was able to show respect and honor and love for her in every way I could, besides where I go to worship on Sundays. Okay? And to the extent I could accommodate and find common ground, even in our prayer life, common ground in scriptures, because my, my mother was a Protestant, we would enjoy that common ground. And I would be reverent to her and honor her in every way I could, in every way that wasn't incompatible with the primary way in which I need to serve and honor God. Okay, so that would be, I, I, I think, one of the ways we can do that because it is challenging. Uh, and living with that, I, I think, is, is finding the common ground uh, to kind of distill that. Find common ground and, and enjoy and rejoice in that common ground and use that as a bridge to charitably discuss you know, the, where there isn't common ground. Okay, so hopefully that was helpful. Uh, if filial piety, this is another question here. If filial piety is part of the natural law, why did God include it in the commandments? Oh, these, these are great questions. I, I, I love this. This is what I do for a living. I, I hope I love it. Uh, yeah, but it, it's a good question. So 
if it's if it's kind of natural, you know, that we, we should we, we observe that we're created by God and we have an indebtedness and we owe him and should perform acts of maybe prayer and sacrifice uh, as expressions of, of what we owe God. Uh, yeah, that, that, the, the natural law communicates that. But the divine law it communicates the same thing uh, is the question. So, so why? Why the duplication? OK, uh, well, Aquinas answers this actually in the first question, first article of the Summa Theologiae. Uh, when he says this, okay, uh, why did God need to reveal things? If we can ultimately know our end, which is God, by reason, okay, and we can eventually know what kinds of actions are conducive to our end, why does God need to reveal himself? And the answer is because it's hard. <laughs> the people who know God are few, Aquinas says, and even those by reason it's after a long time and with an admixture of air that we're able to know God. And then all of the work it takes to really flesh out everything that the natural law kind of entails also takes a lot of time. And while we might see that we should sacrifice, make sacrifices to God, as we see in, in some forms of primitive religion, what that sacrifice should look like isn't always easily knowable. Okay, and so Aquinas says that man had a moral necessity for God to reveal himself. Uh, why? Ultimately, he says, because God is our end. And we have to know him at the beginning of our life because the end dictates everything we do. And so there's a moral necessity for man for God to reveal him. So we know what we're made for. And then, as far as the natural law goes, we, we, he gives us the divine law. So we know everything we have to do in order to get that. And so there's an overlap, okay? Uh, the, the, the divine law confirms the natural law, and the natural law confirms the divine law. And they both kind of fortify us. Uh, we, we can see that the great spills on nature, that nat nature is saying something, and, and, and God, you know, and what we know about God by, by grace and revelation, is confirming, okay, what we know by nature. And so in some ways it allows us, as, as Aquinas, uh, no, Saint Pope, Paul, Pope John Paul II says, that man ascends to truth by two wings. One is faith and one is reason. And so it allows us, by way of our divine law and natural law, we are able to, it, like, like, like double chocolate, you know, we're able to really be confirmed in what kinds of things we need to do. And, and confirmed in a way, because divine authority, God cannot be deceived nor deceived. We, we simply, to put it simply, we know clear what we need to do because God said so. Uh, and, and so that, that, that's extremely helpful. Uh, but the natural law also confirms it. And, and it allows us to dialogue with other people who reject the divine law. So maybe the better question in some ways I feel like is why is, is the natural law and discussing it even needed? Uh, if we have the divine law, which allows us to know what we need to do and with a, a greater certitude than we do by nature, why is the natural law necessary? Well, uh, first of all, grace builds on nature, and, and we by nature desire to know, and, and, and our intellects are not satisfied until they know, and, and know by way of our natural abilities. But then also, by knowing in that way, we're able to dialogue with people who might not accept revealed religion, and come to some kind of common ground with them, and if they come to common ground on, on natural principles and say, wait, the church actually says that? <laughs> And, and that's what nature says too, and reason says too, well then maybe some of these other things the church says, maybe, maybe those aren't so crazy. And, and it leads them to investigate and probe 
uh, and enter more deeply uh, possibly in, into what we believe and open their hearts and minds uh, to accept uh, the gift of faith. Okay? All right. Does filial piety extend to non-parent other family members? I think yes, but it does. Okay? It does so, and I think in that last, um, uh, there, there's part of this is, I don't know if I actually mentioned uh, during my lecture uh, where the, the, the particular question that deals with piety, it's 101, okay? Aquinas' treatise on justice is enormous. So it's in the Secunda Secundae, the second part of the second part, uh, 57 through 152. It's, it's enormous, his treatise on justice. He treats of religion in there, and he treats of piety in question 101, okay? And, and there um, uh, we, we find uh, him saying, the worship due to our parents includes the worship given to all our kindred, okay? And therefore a kind of reverence, okay, also but proportionally to our relationship, okay? Uh, I, I think we obviously owe primarily, and this is something I think we gave to Confucius, the primary debts of those who are proximate, okay? And, and that's maybe something I, I, I didn't fully emphasize there. Is, is I love with Confucius the realism, okay, that you should favor what's proximate over what is remote, okay? And so I, I remember I've, I've heard it said, what's God's will for you? Well, where do you wake up in the morning, okay? Uh, so you know, people might be stressed. Maybe I'm called to marry someone in, I don't know, Tajikistan or whatever. <laughs> well, probably not, maybe, but probably not. You know, you know, usually who you want, you know, and there's a providential reason why you are where you are, and, and, and usually the people you should be friends with, because those are the people you can actually live a common life with, and the people you, you should fall in love with are the people you live around, okay? And so you should favor what is proximate. So obviously we give debts, and, and, and there's a proximity and, and a significance to the debts we owe our parents, but, but kind of in, relatively speaking, I, I think there is a reverence and honor we have for the role that our extended family plays. Uh, and I think as Catholics, sometimes uh, some Catholic communities do that do that well, you know. Historically, you know, aunts and uncles and, and, and grandparents play an enormous role in families. My, my, my uh, children's grandparents, my in-laws lived with us and, and, and there's a reverence we owe them and what they're able to communicate to our children I think is extraordinarily enriching. And so yeah, by extension, that, that virtue of filial piety, I think it would be owed to anyone uh, to whom you're kind of indebted to as a family member as well. So yeah, I, I do think it kind of extends to that, and, and the text seems to support that. All right, what level of influence does Confucius continue to have on in China today? That's, uh, these, are, these are all really, really good questions. Uh, in my opinion, sadly, not enough influence, okay? Uh, I think, so, so, the, so the Chinese kind of canon of, of text, which includes reading uh, a lot of the, the text of Confucius and, and, and um, some other kind of uh, important works uh, that really from the Han Dynasty, uh, there's kind of a canon of like a liberal curriculum that, that people were reading all the way in China, all the way into the early 20th century. It was kind of like their perennial wisdom, uh, a little bit like, uh, you know, like their, their, their great books program. You know, they would read the same books that were informative. Uh, but the, the, the kind of um, uh, Mao Zedong and uh, communism kind of actually severed uh, a lot of Chinese society from their roots uh, in, in some of the, the ways of Confucius. Uh, and so, so there's, there's ways in which you, you know, obviously the roots were so deep it's hard to extricate them entirely and you can still see some of them, okay? Uh, but, but maybe some of them are even more alive in Japan, okay, uh, in some respects. Uh, but even then, like the movie I mentioned, Tokyo Story in 1953, reflects on um, the way in which filial piety is dying. 
and they see actually the decay of society kind of connected to uh, these, these kids who don't want to take time to take care of their parents, okay? Uh, they're so busy, they're caught up in the rat race of making money and doing things that they don't have time for their family, they don't have time for their parents. Uh, but you see as, as this society, the modern society, kind of abandons uh, the, that traditional ethic, that it's actually connected also with a, a kind of deterioration of society in general. Uh, and so in some ways the, the movie is encouraging uh, even the Japanese to reconsider okay, the importance of, of Confucian thought as a means to actually uh, rehabilitate and order society. Uh, very, very fascinating. Okay, good. Well, those are great questions. Uh, I, I, I'm sure you, the, you guys have others, and, and hopefully uh, uh, you'll be stimulated to, to read more, uh, maybe more of Confucian thought, uh, not just Kungzu, but uh, Mengzu and Shunzu. Mencius is what we call Mengzu. Uh, these, these thinkers are, are very fascinating. And also to read more of St. Thomas, uh, to read more of St. Thomas on, on this topic uh, and reflect on what he has to say on justice. And, and uh, I leave you just, just with the, the remarkable, in some ways, the testimony to the natural law that by nature these two thinkers, you know, Aquinas living in the 13th century, okay, and we have Confucius living, you know, 1800 years earlier in another part of the world, came to some of the same conclusions. And therefore there must be something, I think, perennially valuable there uh, that we should attend to. So I encourage you to look back at these thinkers uh, for, and, and to rediscover uh, in your own lives, and I'm, I'm going to try and do the same. This talk has inspired me to do that in my life and to call my parents maybe after I get done with the lecture uh, and, and, and reconnect with this virtue of filial piety and its role in, in the Christian moral life. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for today's Principles Live Lecture. Principles is made possible by our President's Council, our Principal Society, and all of our benefactors who share with the wider world the truths of wisdom and knowledge that students receive here at Christendom College. And if you're not yet a Principal Society member, please consider joining us and making this content free for others. Thank you so much and God bless you.